back for another episode of the regular podcast, man. I only came back right now by myself because, you know, something hit me while I was at work today and I started researching and writing everything down, writing a bunch of notes, and I was like, I have to record this today. I wasn't even going to come back until I had Shay with me so we can discuss some of these, um, these television shows and movies we've been watching, but I had to get this one off right here. And she ain't home right now. So, the how y'all been doing? I've been cool. I know it's been a minute since I talked to y'all. And last time we talked, we had a long conversation about some things in hip-hop. And um, there's not much I want to talk to y'all about as far as the pop culture goes. Except, first of all, I've been cool, chilling. All right. Bill Cosby today was sentenced in Pennsylvania to three years to to a prison sentence of three years to 10 years he was also classified as a violent sexual predator okay which means he'll have to register uh in the sex offenders database which all of his neighbors and anybody he lives around will be notified of his his uh being in the area his residence in the area and he'll have to take like i, I think i read something like he has to take monthly kind of intervention like like almost like aa for sex offenders you know we got to keep you off the off the victims you know so that's when he gets out of prison so yeah they they that's it's real y'all they locked bill cosby up today they took him you know he got sentenced they said um they pretty much this is what i think i think cosby knew it was over Whatever was going on, he knew it was totally over. He didn't want to say nothing in court. They asked him if he wanted to address the judge before he got sentenced. He was like, nope, I'm good. They asked him if he wanted to say something in the court. He said, nope, I'm good. They said he was joking. He was laughing and stuff before the thing. I think he just knew the shit was over. Like, he probably was on some, like, yo, they're not going to... They're not going to let me die like the people of the past that have died with these same type of incidences you know, on them, he he probably just knew, like, yo, they got me. It's over with. Now, man, to sentence, I can't, I'm not going to say that the sentence was wrong or sentencing him was wrong. This is the problem that I have with America and the way people are treated in America. Everybody doesn't get the same treatment in America. That's the problem. It's not that we're asking that you not lock up black rapists. It's that if black rapists are being locked up, all rapists should be locked up the same way. It shouldn't be a thing where it's like, it's not that people, see, this is what a lot of y'all are not understanding. Y'all think people are defending Bill Cosby. No, people are defending people who get treated unfairly because what's fair in court? What's fair if some people are being or having some uh, situation and they are not being put in prison for not even three years on the high end of the sentence. And then old men are being put in there for, for, for crimes that are supposedly committed previous decades. You understand what I'm saying? Who what's right and what's wrong. People ain't saying don't lock up black rapists. People are saying if black rapists are being locked up, why aren't these other ones being locked up? Now, I have a theory about this one specifically. This one in particular, particular, Bill Cosby was locked up in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania has shown us that they don't care who you are. If somebody comes in their courtroom with a case, they will do everything they need to do to lock you up. I've had many of family members locked up in the Pennsylvania Correctional for a system you understand many family because i'm on i'm from my part of my family is from pa you feel me i'm from ohio but a lot of my family is from pennsylvania i'm like most of my family is from pa so that jet like like all my all a lot of the males in my family have been in prison at some point in pennsylvania they're not playing in Pennsylvania. Another thing, everybody is fighting against the Meek Mill situation. Y'all realize that's the same state as this Bill Cosby shit. They're locking Meek up with some craziness. 
But it don't matter because that's how PA get down. Jerry Sandusky was 70 years old when they sentenced him. This is a white man. When they sentenced him to 30 years in prison for rape. So this is just to tell us and to let us all know that Pennsylvania, if given the opportunity to, to go against you, the state of Pennsylvania to go against you in a courtroom, a criminal courtroom, they are going to do whatever they have to do to win that. Which is why I believe the so, the, the uh, social landscape of America got so heavily behind this woman, uh, uh, Miss Constantine or Constantine. I don't know how to pronounce her name. Uh, they got behind her because in Pennsylvania, there's always a real shot. If we get it to a criminal court, there's always a real shot that this person can be convicted. And they got what they wanted. I don't even believe Cosby did this shit. Well, actually, I think he said... I somebody said that he said he did it. I don't... Supposedly, at a deposition, Cosby said he had put his finger in the woman. Or he was touching her or something like that while she was knocked out. Now... You know what? I can't even... Because I don't even... I didn't even hear the deposition or read it. So, I don't know. I'm going to just say this. Locking up black rapists is not the issue. Locking up black rapists and not also treating white rapists the same way. That's the issue. Okay? But Pennsylvania specifically, that is not an issue in Pennsylvania. That's why most stars stay in New York and L.A. They stay there because those places know how to handle rich and wealthy people. As long as it's not tax issues or embezzlement, those two places, New York and L.A., they will make sure they handle you accordingly, which is meaning differently than they would handle a normal civilian. Those places are like that. Now, when you come to a situation like Pennsylvania, they're not a heavy uh, celebrity place. They don't have a lot of celebrity celebrities there. Maybe a lot of celebrities might come from Philly, but the ones that actually reside there, no, they don't have a lot. So when they, they don't care who you are. If you come in a courtroom, they're locking your shit up. It don't matter. If they get an opportunity, they will lock you up. Okay? So that happened to Bill Cosby, and I also I wanted to say that because I want y'all to know nobody's defending rape. Nobody's a rape apologist. People are saying, if this is what it is, this is what it is. I happen to believe in this situation specifically The way it was handled in court is not about Bill Cosby's race. It's not because he was a black man. It's because it's Pennsylvania and the charges and the fact that they get to stamp a high profile case as one in front of the world and they get to look like the heroes. The reason I'm saying it's not because it was race because they did the same shit. They did worse to Jerry Sandusky. All right. And Jerry Sandusky's situation was very similar to Bill Cosby. There was a whole lot of accusers on the Jerry Sandusky case also. One was Jerry Sandusky was messing with young boys. Cosby was supposedly violating women. All right. So that's the difference here. But the situations are very similar and the courts handled it very similarly. They locked them old niggas up. So, hey, Pennsylvania specifically, I'm not saying Pennsylvania is not racist. I'm saying this specific rape situation, I don't believe was based on his race. That's all I'm saying. If y'all want to argue with me, y'all let me know. I'm just saying Pennsylvania is a state that keeps that same energy. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Another thing that happened. Now, that happened. Okay. That was just today. Uh, today is September 25th or yeah, 25th, Tuesday. Another thing that happened. Lupe Fiasco dropped his album on Friday, the 21st. Friday, September 21st. Oh, man. This album, to me, was a masterpiece. Some people are calling it the best album that he's ever dropped. Some people are saying it's the best album he dropped in a long time. Uh, I don't know. I'm not going to say it's his best album ever. It's definitely like 30 times better than the last album he put out. Last album he put out, Droga's Light, very not good. Very trash. He could have kept it. But I know why he put it out. Because he was having label issues. He wanted to get off his label. So he gave them a whack album so he can get out his deal. Now the album that he dropped on Friday is called Drogas Wave. This is an independent album. He dropped an album like this as an independent artist. And that shit is fire. 
It's a concept album. Y'all have to go listen to it, man. Lupe is different. This is a concept album. The waves are Africans that jumped off of ships and became one with the ocean. That's the basic concept of what a wave is in the context of this album. Waves, drogas is a Spanish word that means drugs. So just like we as Africans were smuggled like drugs across the Atlantic Ocean, you know how drugs, sometimes drugs are just, they, they, they go overboard some kind of way, maybe the ship crash and all that type stuff. Then the drug is just left in the water, becomes part of the ocean. That's, that's the metaphor for us. We became one with the ocean when we decided death is better than bondage. Okay? Which a lot of people ain't catching. Lupe was on the side of Kanye West when he said slavery was a choice in the mind state. This is what he meant by that. That people said, I would rather die than live like that. Even though they didn't know what they were going to live like because they were on a ship on their way to America. They didn't know what was on the other side for them. They just knew, I'm not going. Now, it was not to condemn the people who did go, but it was to big up and shout out and respect and admire the people who said, I'm not going. I'll chill in the ocean. You know what I'm saying? He has a song on there called Dolphins, I mean called Down. And he's, you know, he's, it's real, to me, it's a very intricate album, very conceptual, very deep. A lot of messages in there. And this album is not even about slavery. I just said all of that. It's not about slavery. It's about how black people right now are maneuvering in this country. It's about how we are going with, we're going along with what's happening because we're kind of afraid to jump off the ship. You know what I'm saying? We're afraid to become, we, we're scared. We think we're going to drown. We don't even know that if we jump off the ship, we'll become the wave. We think we got the wave right now. No, you got to jump off the ship to be a wave. Right now, we're all collectively on the slave ship. This album is about jump off the slave ship, black people. That's what this album is. It's Yo, listen, man. When I tell y'all, I could go, I could break down every song and tell you how it connects to what I just said this album was about. Some of y'all would, well, actually, if you heard the album, you would know that I'm not just digging too deep into it. Lupe, some of this shit he's saying literally in the album. But if you listen to the album, you'll be like, oh, okay, yeah, that's not. So if I said this about like Jay-Z's 444, then it might be like, okay, he's reaching. But with this shit right here, if you listen to the album, you know this is exactly what Lupe is talking about. He's saying, I mean, he starts at. Pretty much the point where we first get captured, then he leads up to all these different situations and throughout African-American history. You know, to me, when I listen to this album, it feels like I'm watching Hidden Colors. Real talk. I feel like I'm watching Hidden Colors 5 when I listen to this album. That's how that's how much information is in this shit. Y'all need to go check it out, man. You matter of fact, you don't need to do anything. You do what you want. I'm just letting y'all know Lupe came out doing what Lupe does. He wasn't trying to compete with the Kendricks, the Coles, and Drakes. He was doing what Lupe fans know he can do and what he is supposed to do for the culture that he claims to love, which is the hip-hop culture and the people that, 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 the people that are engulfed in everything that hip-hop is. Because that's what most of us, me, I'm born in 1990. Everything about my life from the, from the beginning is all hip-hop. Everything about it. See, the generation before us, they, are, they, they predate hip-hop. So when they grew up, everything wasn't about hip-hop. Some shit was disco, R&B, you know pop, all that type stuff. Jazz for the older people or the blues for the older people. For me and my generation, people born in the 80s, like in the mid-80s to and on after that, every single thing about us is hip-hop. It's in our fingers, in our toes and our eyes and our tongues and our ears every single thing that we do is influenced by hip-hop everything lupe is talking to us 
That's what this album is about. Okay. So boom. I hope my room is not um not having too much echo situation going on because I don't have any type of soundproofing on my walls in here. It's a freshly painted wall as of you know, and I don't have anything up. I probably should put something up, but it is what it is. I don't even know if it's as bad as I think it is, but whatever. Now, this is this is what I want the podcast to be about today. All right. Because I sit and I watch TV at times and, and some people, they say shit on TV and they don't even know. Maybe y'all don't care about it, but I get offended by certain shit when I see it. You understand? And one thing that I, I it hit me, well, I was already, because if some of y'all follow me on Twitter, you already seen me talking about insurance companies that, that been around for a long time or whatever. And black people wasn't allowed to compete for whatever, uh, you know, in the, in the massive market. But I was watching TV a few days ago and I and I heard like I wasn't even paying attention, but something stood out to me. And it was like um, it was like for 150 years, uh, you know, what have you been doing? I'm sure you've been accumulating a lot of stuff. You need to ensure pretty much saying like, yes, we've been around for 150 years and you have too and i know you have had shit for 150 years you have to insure it get our insurance because our insurance is all about 150 years worth of growth and uh you know accumulation of shit and value and all that type shit so i was like damn i did the math i'm like 150 years a buck 50 ago we was only a few years out of bondage as far as you know um privatized bondage right so I'm like, yo, these companies really be uh, these a lot of these old, very old European owned companies. They really flaunt the fact that they've been around for a very long time. Some of them been around while slavery was still active or slavery on a private scale or a private level was still active. And nobody sees anything wrong with this. Like, yo, these companies were owned, built and operated during a time where f- what we consider a 12 percent of the American population today, which it was a larger percent back then. The black population back in 18, in, let's say 1850, was a larger percentage than it is right now. We couldn't compete. And that's also why they counted us as three-fifths of a human, because there was so many of us. So they counted us on some shit. Some people weren't even counted at all, okay? Because some white people, they really couldn't count. So they had slaves because they had money, but they couldn't count, so they didn't know how many people they had. They didn't know what was going on. Ignorant. All right, anyway, back then there were many more of us. And these people were starting and owning and operating companies with most of us doing most of the work anyway. Owning and operating companies at a time where we not only couldn't compete, we couldn't even uh, be their salesman for a wage at that time. So now what am I talking about specifically? I'm talking about insurance companies. Because the commercial I saw the other day was a MetLife commercial. Now, not only would they not let us work for them, if we did try to compete with them, they would burn our shit down, destroy it. You know what I'm saying? And everybody want to come out with the, oh, you're always blaming a white man. Just work hard. No, you, people was working hard. That shit was getting attacked. Everybody's not a warrior. So if we sit, if I'm an insurance kind of guy, I'm the, I'm the type of dude that I sit and I hit... I hit calculators and I mess with the abacus and I'm a counter. I'm in the insurance industry, right? That means if an angry, ignorant ass white mob comes up with guns and torches, I'm not a fighter. I'm an insurance guy. So they're going to destroy my shit. So everybody wants to say, oh, y'all just complaining, just work. Oh, you got, we are working. The people who would fight back for us are locked up in cages in prisons right now. Which means the attacking is going to continue until the warrior class of people is let out. Now, let's get past that. Like I said, these companies have been operating since the 1800s, a lot of them, when black people could not start businesses to compete with them. Now, I want to give you all a list of a few insurance companies that have been around for a very long time. And I want to tell you how much money these people are making just based on this little chart that I'm seeing right here. Uh, okay. Now, Liberty Mutual. They started in Boston. Okay. Let me see if they, they might not have been on this list, though. Let me see. Liberty Mutual started in Boston. I don't have how much money they made. 
Oh, here we go. Liberty Mutual, their holdings, $137 billion in holdings. Because, you know, these insurance companies are really like, it's like financial. All of them are financial companies, meaning they, they're bankers. You feel me? They, they manage money for people and they invest it. And in, that's what they do. They're, they're management companies. They're money. Insurance companies are money management companies. Okay. Okay, Liberty Mutual has, they started in 1912. They have $137 billion in holdings. Let's see, Cigna. Can y'all guess what year Cigna started? Just take a guess. What, what year y'all thinking? All right. Y'all think that? That's how much you think? Cigna has been around since 1792. You heard me. 1792. Cigna has been around. They're not even on this chart, so I don't know how much money, how much, how much shit they get. Y'all know what Cigna is, man. Cigna is a very large insurance company. They have been around. The, when I say they have been around, it's their parent company, meaning the oldest company that is a part of the group of companies that eventually became Cigna. That oldest company is from 1792. They have merged and purchased and and uh, acquired things that made them become Cigna now. But the original company, the insurance company of North America, was around in 1792. MetLife, the people who had the commercial on TV that I saw the other day that offended me. They are the top insurance company in the, in the in, is this the world? This is the top insurance company on the planet. They are worth... Are not their worth. They have in their assets. They their assets nine hundred twenty five billion dollars. They have been around since eighteen sixty eight, man. That's what I was just telling you. Eighteen. They've been around since a few years after we were allowed to walk free of the chains and not even free because you know what they was doing the slave laws. You feel me? This shit annoys me. Okay, Prudential. Prudential, everybody has heard of Prudential. They have been around since 1875. I don't see them on this list either with this. Um, I'm looking at all these. Okay, yeah, they're not on this list either. So I don't know what they have in assets. But I just know they're a big-ass company, and they've been here since 1875. State Farm. State Farm has been around since 1922. New York Life, another large company, has been around since since 1845. You heard 1845. Um, their holdings are 287 billion dollars. Okay, and that was as of last year. They probably got more than that. Blue Cross Blue Shield, 1929. Allstate, 1931. Geico. 1936, Farmers Insurance, uh, 1928, Nationwide, 1926, Travelers, 1853, and St. Paul, Minnesota. I'm pretty sure black people weren't even allowed to live in that state. The whole state probably wasn't even allowing black people in that motherfucker. American Family, you know that one that have Jennifer Hudson on the, on the commercial? American Family Insurance, that shit. 1927 USAA this is a membership joint 1922 Aetna if all you medical people y'all know about Aetna they've been around since 1853 now one of the most interesting things that I've seen a pattern that I saw when I was reviewing these insurance companies most of these shit started in the, in the north only only two of these companies I just read Started in the South, and they were both in Texas. That's Geico in Fort Worth, Texas, and USAA in San Antonio, Texas. The rest of these shits all up north. Liberty Mutual, Boston, Cigna, Connecticut, MetLife, New York, Prudential, uh, Newark, State Farm, Illinois, New York Life, New York City. B Blue Cross Blue Shield was in the Northwest. They don't have an exact location. Uh, Allstate, I don't have a thing for that. Geico was in Texas. Farmers Insurance was in L.A., California. Nationwide, Ohio, Travelers in Minnesota, American Family Insurance, Wisconsin, Aetna, Connecticut. I don't, I don't even know. So 
so guess this is so this is the interesting thing about it. They all, you know how they try to paint the South. The South in the 1800s, that was the, that's where all of the, you know, the scary racist people, the, you know, the KKK and all the mean folks up North. It was good for black people. Everybody just go up North. But really, these places are the places black people were running to. And these were the places that we were not allowed to operate insurance companies. I'm only talking about insurance companies because that is a massive uh, uh, money maker for communities for the people who are board members at these companies the people who own large shares in these companies because their families owned the shit back in the 1800s and early 1900s that's why I'm talking about them because black people are missing out on billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars because our people were not allowed to compete when it was a competitive market we have a few and I'm going to get to it we have a few black owned Insurance companies, and I'm going to get to them. There's probably nine left in the entire country. Nine, and they're small. All right? I'm going to get to them, though. But the reason this annoys me is because people try to make it seem like all you have to do is work. No. Ain't nobody starting no damn insurance company in 2018 and competing with MetLife, man. Or competing with State Farm. Not anybody black. Nobody. You know why? Because every state in America has a minimum amount that you're even allowed to have in, in, in assets before you can even call yourself an insurance company. You have to have a certain amount of money to even start with. You have to pretty much you have to sign people up before you become an operable insurance company. You have to sign them up and collect the initial premium or initial uh, deposit from these people before you can even register as an insurance company in these states in America. This is what I'm saying. Most people don't even know if I wanted to start an insurance company, how would I do it? What's the first step? I, it's a big business. Why not? It's not like insurance companies are, are nonprofits and you shouldn't make profits off of it. No, they make min, they make plenty of profit off insurance. And most of them never really have to pay out for anything. And when they do have to pay out, they fight you. They fight against having to pay out. You know why? Because their whole business is about the insurance industry is like Floyd Mayweather. Hit you and not let you hit me. And they are flawless at it. You know why? Because they have rules. They have loopholes for everything. People think they have loopholes to get around insurance scams. No, they have loopholes for us. To make sure they don't have to pay people shit. Alright? Now, it it just blows me because they taunt. They I feel like they taunt me. Because I'm thinking about shit like this when they say, well, yeah, we've been around since 1700. We've been around since 1850. All this type shit. And they, okay, so let's get to the black, the black-owned insurance companies now. Because there are some. There are some. Let me see. Black-owned insurance companies. There's a list... On uh, littleafrica.com. These are black insurance companies. There are 10 on this list. I have confirmed already. One of these uh, insurance companies no longer exists. It went on. It went out of business in 2009. The, the courts of California forced all of their uh, holdings to be given to this Canadian company. This So there's only nine. And I haven't gone through all of them. So as of right now, what I have verified there's 10 on this list and one of them has been inactive for nine years now because they went out of business because they couldn't maintain it. But that that company is called Golden State Mutual Life Insurance Company. And the reason I want to read you about their read their history to you. And I'm, I'm going to read because if you're not if you ain't into this shit, just go on about your time, man, because I'm, I'm I think we need to know this stuff, because if you ever do want to support a black insurance company and use their insurance, you're about to get their name from me right now. But I want to read you about I want to read to you about Golden State Mutual Life Insurance because they was going hard back in the day. They were the largest black owned insurance company in the Western United States. They were founded by a man named William Nickerson, Jr. Right. I want to read this one specifically because of how large they became. Now. And I'm just going to read it straight, straight up. 
in the mid-1920s when William Nickerson Jr., an insurance salesman and publisher from Texas, arrived in Los Angeles, he was alarmed to discover that most of the 16,000 blacks living in the city were unable to obtain life insurance. Now, think back. This is a time when black uh, life expectancy was like 40 years old. People was dying early. This is the 1920s. People was catching all kind of ailments and things, and they were just dying. People were dying young. People in general, but black people specifically, dying young. We were in terrible work conditions. We had very little medical assistance and things like that. Beside, you know, besides the people living in big cities where they had a lot of black black doctors and things like that. He's saying 16, uh, most of the 16,000 black people living in Los Angeles were not able to obtain life insurance. Guess what that means? That means when you die, your kids get nothing. That was the game that white people was running for a long time. You know, back when they was dying, all they people was getting paid, stacking, stacking, stacking. Think about people dying at 35. Every 35 years, your family getting $100,000 just for nothing. That don't seem like a lot, but in the 19, it wasn't 100,000 1920s, but you know, it was, it was a big ass number. Okay, boom. Unable to afford an attorney, Nickerson studied law to determine state's requirements to form a corporation to accommodate this need. He partnered with the fellow insurance salesman Nor Norman Houston and businessman George Beavers Jr. to secure 500 prepaid life insurance applications as well as $15,000 deposit required by California. Now, let me let me read that part again. Let me slow it down. He had to get 500 people, black people to. Now, this is a time when black people ain't got that much money to prepay for life insurance before California would even allow him to be called a corporation that run that operates as an insurance company. He needed the 500 prepaid life insurance applications and $15,000 deposit. Talk about barriers to entry. <laughs> okay. Houston raised the 15,000 and Beavers found 500 blacks that would pay premiums for a company that has yet to be established. On July 23rd, 1925, they opened as the Golden State Guarantee Hold on. The Golden State Guarantee Fund Insurance Company in a one-room office, they have the address. With few amenities and $17,800 in capital. Within three months, the company had, three months now, the company had outgrown its office and moved to a storeroom at another address. By the, by the end of the first year, the company had established an office in Oakland, California, and more than $260,000 in policies and $6,000 in reserves and a surplus of $16,000. Within three years, the Golden State Insurance Company had over 100 employees, including 60 agents, as well as branches in Pasadena, Bakersfield, uh, San Diego, and Fresno. Now, three years, this company was booming. You know why they were booming? Because insurance, the, the shit sells itself. If you're allowed to operate freely, the shit will sell itself. This is the key reason why they were stopping black people from even getting in it. They were making these wild ass shits like you need 500 people to sign up before we. Even... How you get 500 people to sign up for something that don't exist? That was black people. So all y'all people that swear up and down black people don't support each other. 500 black people that probably didn't have that much money anyway. Put their money up for a company that didn't exist yet. Y'all can learn a thing. Or we. Can learn a thing or two about this shit. Now, boom, let's keep going because I have to, I want to read this because it's a very interesting story. In 1928, using all African-American design and labor, they built a two story Golden State Mutual Life Insurance building at this address where the firm occupied the top floor with the main floor was rented to merchants. The company remained profitable through the Great Depression. They remained profitable throughout the Great Depression in the 30s, man. This black company was booming. Think about how, how great you in our community had to be doing. All these white people losing their mind, jumping off of buildings, just going broke, losing everything. And we operate in companies that's doing well throughout the Great Depression. When you look at all those old ass videos of the Great Depression, you don't see too many black people in them lines. You know why? Because we was already living like that. We already had known how to be poor like that. So shit didn't stop for us. We was already living a certain type of lifestyle. A lot of people were poor. And that's just what it was. Okay, boom. In the 1930s, the company began paying out dividends, be dividends beginning in 1930. Imagine that a company is paying dividends the year after the Great Depression started. 
Think about how 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 much you got to be, how good a company has to be doing for in 1930, you start to pay out dividends. That's crazy. The name was changed to Golden State Mutual Life Insurance Company in 1931. By the end of the 1930s, assets had grown to 430,000 with 6 million in policies. And okay, so think about in, in 1939, $400,000 is a lot of bread. You in the game at that time. At, let's see what comes. Okay, so in, let me see. At In the 1930s, they would have been doing better than State Farm, Allstate, Geico, Farmers, Nationwide, American Family, and USAA. They would have been doing better than all those companies that are still around and thriving right now. Okay? Now... Let's see here. In 1938, they set up operations in Illinois. And in 1944, they opened a branch in Texas. By the end of the World War II, assets stood at 2 million, surplus funds at 750,000, and they had nearly $24 million in policies. This is by 1945, they had this. This is a black owned insurance company. $24 million in policies and $2 million in assets. It's a lot of money for, for a company that's going up against these big dogs like Cigna, MetLife, Prudential, all these type shits. Continued growth and expansion. Expansion. When the company's founder died in 1945, Houston, the man who raised the money, Houston became president and Beavers was elevated to board chairman. Under the new leadership, the company continued its expansion. Eventually, Golden State had offices in 14 states with over $4 billion in policies, man. This was, let me tell you something. They had $4 billion in policies. You, yo, all right. In 1949, Golden State Mutual opened its new headquarters at another spot. It was designed by Paul Williams. Let me see. Paul Williams must have been a black architect. Yep. He was a black. Paul Revere Williams, American based architect in, in L.A. He practiced largely in Southern California and designed the homes of numerous celebrities, including Frank Sinatra, Lucille Ball, Desi Arnaz, Lancia. So, yeah, he was he was Paul. If anybody into architecture, look up Paul Revere Williams. He was the black man. You know, everything about them was black excellence back then, man. They was working with black people. They didn't even need to go talk to nobody else. It was all about like, all right, y'all don't want to let us get insurance. We'll do it ourselves, and we and we did this shit ourselves. As a major major institution within the black community, representatives of Golden State Mutual were active in the civil rights movement. You hear that? Think about some of the largest black businesses right now. One of the largest holders in one of the biggest black businesses right now would be Robert Smith. He's probably the richest black person in America right now. He's an investor, a major investor. Super like Cole. You don't never see him involved in anything dealing with the black community. A lot of y'all don't even know who he is. He's probably the richest black person in America. He might have passed Oprah already. That's how this man has a lot of money or he's worth a lot of money. He's worth a lot of numbers. Okay. Man, they had they okay. So, another thing they started to do, they started to invest in black painters, black artists, which include which included works by Richmond Barth Barthay, I don't know, Hallie Woodruff, Charles Austin, Varnett Honeywood, Charles White, Betty or uh, Bet Ye Sar, and David Hammonds. The reason I'm reading all these names is because all of these people are black people that we can all look up and learn about. All right. This is this is to me is a is a great story that didn't end very good at all. However, now this is the crazy part about it. They just flat out say it. However, in the wake of integration, Golden State Mutual as well as other black owned businesses began to lose market share and influence. In 1962, when Beavers took on the added role as president of the National Insurance Association. It was apparent that something needed to be done to ensure, pun intended, the continued viability of black owned businesses. In 1970, Houston Sons, they took over with the company continued to. Okay, boom. 
They lay it all out for you flat right there. However, in the wake of integration, that means, you know how people try to say uh, uh, the North, the Union, they fought to end slavery. So we should be grateful to the people who fought in the Union Army or whatever like that. And other people say no. They only wanted to end slavery because it was not allowing the economy to grow larger. So they would let the slaves go free, like quote unquote free, but we would still treat them as second class citizens. We just need y'all to to stop using free labor for shit that ain't going to help us grow. Use cheap. We, we can still pay them a little bit of money, but we just need them to be able to work in these factories and shit like that. We need them to be able to do other type of work. We don't need them doing that work. So that's how people think, oh, this is a good thing. Now, some people who think integration was a good thing, they make it seem like, oh, no, you let integration happen and all these people get to live harmoniously amongst each other. No, what they were really doing was saying we need integration to happen so that you black people will start buying our shit now. Because now we're at the point where we have made as much money as we can make with white people. Now we need black people who have we have locked out of all of our everything we do. We have locked them out. Now we'll open the floodgates and allow them to buy everything. And we'll even advertise things specifically for them to feel welcome to come by. We'll make them feel special as they give us their money. And that destroyed black financial America. Right? It destroyed it. And that was a tactic by big business. People think... Oh, I mean, black people had a shot. We just stopped. No, that was a tactic, man. When people are forced into insecurity. And then when they get a a seemingly, seemingly bright opening to live a, a, a life that feels not insecure, they'll take that path. That's like some of the earliest uh, marketing psychologies that they used on us. And it worked. So it helped to destroy this black company that was the largest largest black insurance company in the country. Imagine had they not lost all their customers and imagine had they still been growing. That four billion in policies would have been much more right now. Much more. And they were in L.A., the second biggest city in America. They would have been massive, man. But anyway, from 1962 on, this shit started to, to decline. Eventually... They had to sell all the art that they had been holding and trying to let gain a lot of value. They had to get rid of all of it. They had to get rid of everything. Then some company named IA, American Life Insurance Company from Cali- from uh, Canada, went and bought their shit up. And now it's just OV. It been, it been gone since September 2009. It's just sad, man, because it's like, yo, it would have been great to have these people around still. Like, it's some, it's some other ones still around, but... It would be good to have more than 10 damn black owned life insurance companies in the whole country. And we don't have 10. We have nine. So let me read you the other ones. North Carolina Mutual Insurance Company. They're in Durham, North Carolina. Atlanta Life Insurance Company here in Atlanta. Gertrude Geds Willis Life Insurance Company. That's New Orleans. I I haven't looked them up, so I can't verify if they're still around. Booker T. Washington Insurance Company in Birmingham, Alabama. They're still around. Or I don't know if they're still around. I didn't look them up. Protective Industrial Insurance Company. That's in Alabama. Uh, Winfield Life Insurance Company. That's in Louisiana. Uh, Williams Progressive Life Insurance. That's in Louisiana. Golden Circle Life Insurance Company. That's in Tennessee. And Reliable Life Insurance Company. That's in Monroe, Louisiana. Now, remember when I read y'all the list of everywhere that these old white companies was from? They was all from up north. All these black companies are Southern companies, except for Golden. Golden State Mutual was the only one that wasn't Southern because they was in Los Angeles and they closed down. The rest of these shits are in the South. And there's only 10 of them. Think about that. All the white ones are up north because that's where all the white power is at. The white power is in the white dollar up north. The black power is in the South where we are comfortable. We ain't never going to be comfortable up north because that's where all their power is at. <clears throat> but anyway, I just uh, wanted to tell you all that. And I also 
because like I said, if this shit ain't for you, then you should just turn it off. But I, you know, this, this reading certain stories makes me feel all right. So I want to tell you a little bit about North Carolina Mutual Life Insurance Company. They were founded in 19, uh, in 1898. Now this is the thing about them. They, in 1898, right? They have this picture, I guess, of like all the, well, y'all know about North Carolina, right? North Carolina is where the other Black Wall Street was at. There was it was booming. I, I think it might have been in Durham actually. In Durham, you know, y'all heard of, everybody heard about you know Tulsa, Oklahoma, outside of Tulsa, Greenville, whatever. But also, you know, Rosewood down in Florida. Also, this community in North Carolina, Durham, North Carolina. These black people was was getting it like that. It was like that. So they had opened up for the same reason as the one out in uh, California. They started an insurance company in North Carolina because black people were being denied for insurance. See, remember I told you that integration shit messed everything up because white people had made as much money as they could make off of white people. So they said, we need black money now. And it was a time where they said, we don't care if you got money or not, black people. We don't want your money. So black people were kind of not saying we didn't want to spend with each other, but we were forced to spend with each other anyway. All right. So this company, they opened up a, a, an insurance company and they're still around from since 1898. They're still around right now. OK. So let me see. I could, you, you know, y'all can everybody can go to their um, website is ncmutuallife.com. You can read about their history. You can also read about the history of Atlanta Life Insurance Company. It's on their website also. It was started by a man named Alonzo Franklin Herndon. He was, a, he was uh, Atlanta's richest black man at one point. And he was Atlanta's richest black man at one point. And he's, he was looking around like, yo, we don't have shit. Like, you know, black people can't get insurance. I'll just read you because his, his story is kind of interesting also. Over 100 years ago, he was a former slave. Alonzo Franklin Herndon founded what would become Atlanta Life Insurance Company. A sharecropper from Social Circles, Georgia, had parlayed his haircutting skills into the finest men's barbershop in Atlanta, catering to white businessmen who populated Peachtree Street until his shop was damaged during the 1905 Atlanta race riots. An entrepreneur, Herndon was a real estate investor, a world traveler, an an, uh, amateur architect, a pillar of black Atlanta and its wealthiest black man. His mansion, built by black artisans in 1910, became Morris Brown College campus. That's how big his shit was. It became a college. This man was built like that. Right. He took one hundred and forty dollars and, you know, he began his. He began to cater to low and moderate income income consumers. So that just tells you black people have been trying to take care of each other in ourselves for a long time. We just have to recognize who's still around and try to continue doing stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? Everybody is not in a position, even not even located in a place where you can spend a lot of money with black people because you're just not around a lot of black businesses. But if you are in a place that has a lot of black business around, if you're in Atlanta, if you're in Charlotte or anywhere in North Carolina, if you're in Virginia, like Richmond, uh, if you're in Philadelphia, if you're in, if you're in uh, Cincinnati, if you're in Cleveland, if you're in Detroit, if you are in Indianapolis, if you're in Chicago, if you are in like uh, St. Louis, if you're in anywhere in the South, man, there's black people all around doing stuff. So, you, you know what I'm saying? Oakland, <clears throat> certain places, there are a lot of black businesses. So... You know, D.C., well, not so much D.C. anymore, but D.C. on the outskirts. But if you're in a position where you can, you know, spend with the people that look like you or if you can support the services, it's not just about buying products because the services, you know, we have to support those companies. Also, some of those companies are the oldest companies that we have. And we need to help them build back up the infrastructure that their that some of their grandparents built, but times got hard when when integration happened. All right, so I ain't, I ain't trying to uh, preach y'all to death, but I just don't like when these companies do these damn commercials talking about uh, we've been around since you know George Washington had us. Like, come on, yo, 
because everybody didn't get the chance to compete with y'all like that. Because if they was, which is why we was locked out of everything, people don't want to compete with you, black people. People don't want to compete with you because when you do compete, they think you're cheating. Right, Serena Williams? Am I lying, Serena? When you compete with them on, a, on an even playing field, they want to, They think that you are cheating. So they'll, they won't... It's not like they'll just beat you head up. These people will run an industry for 150 years and then tell you, hey, it's open. Anybody can do it now. So you got to start 150 years behind in a race to, to get to a billion dollars in, in insurance. And even a billion dollars ain't nothing in that insurance world. We out here chasing a billion because we've been locked out. We're doing shit that they was doing in, in the 1950s. We're trying to do shit that they was doing in the 1950s. Then you got black people out here defending their fuckery by saying, all you got to do is work. No, that's not all you have to do. You have to have a time machine. And you have to go back and change the rules of America and then work from there. That's what you have to do. You don't just have to work. Like you, You're working to catch what? If you know anything about economics and history, because they go together, you can't just be like an expert in one thing and not know shit about the other. You need to know about all of it because it all goes together. You're not just about to come out and work your way to compete with uh, with with Cigna or State Farm or Allstate or Prudential or Progressive. That's not how it's going to work. It's never going to work like that. So we have to just support the people that are already in place. Like I told y'all before, I don't think we need to, if we see something working for somebody else, support them. Don't try to start the same business they started and compete with them. That's not who you should be competing with because y'all both going to compete, 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 fight, and both put each other out of business. That's how that's going to happen. All right? So I'm, I'm not going, I'm done preaching to y'all now. I just, this shit bugged me. All right? So, that's all I got for y'all. Make sure y'all look up those black insurance companies that I told y'all about. I'm going to look at it and see what I could do with um, Atlanta Life Insurance Company. See if I can meet some people. Maybe talk to somebody on here or whatever. Maybe interview somebody. I don't know. But y'all let me know how y'all feel about all this, man. Is it, Am I bugging? I know I'm not bugging. But y'all let me know if y'all care about our companies not being able to compete 100 years ago like, like these were. And, and make big billions like they were able to make like that. All right. Get at me. Peace.